Hello and welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. Landon, it's such a pleasure to meet you, uh, you know, in, in Zoom person. And uh, I just, right off the bat, I just really want to thank you for your time and, and thank you for for willing to, to talk to me and kind of like share some of your story and, and wisdom. I think uh, many people will, will be happy to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so you, so you checked out a little bit of the podcast anyway, so you can kind of get the format. Um, it's, it's really just, just conversational. We can let it flow and go where it may. Um, I, I would love to, you know, there's no wrong or right way to do it, but I would love to start with some form of bio. You know, if somebody has never heard of you, they haven't heard any of your, of your, um, work on YouTube or Instagram or anything you post on social media or SoundCloud, um, maybe like just a an elevator pitch or a little bio would, would be a great place to start. Yeah, um, I started off, I'd say it's been maybe like two years or so since I started making chill step mixes. And originally, um, I didn't have any plans for it um, in terms of social media, like how far it would go. I really just um, was working through my own sort of issues and problems that I had in my own personal life. And chill steps were kind of an outlet for those problems. And, you know, I heard of chill step mixes before people were making these videos online on YouTube and I was listening to, um, these philosophical mixes and it was mostly Alan Watts and there were other teachers that I looked up to and, and really resonated with. And I thought, how cool would that be to make mixes for those teachers? And so initially, I thought it was just a cool idea. And I, I started to explore that. And the more I listened to certain lectures, like Ram Dass specifically is one of my favorite teachers, the more I, I dove into his work, I found that the mixes I was making was kind of an emotional outlet for me. It was like almost therapeutic. So I started doing these mixes and I thought, you know, I'll post them online and I'll just share it with other people. And I wasn't really sure, you know, if anybody was going to discover those mixes right away. I hadn't had many subscribers, I think maybe only like 50 at the time. And my intention wasn't to share it with other people to kind of get acknowledgement, but just to share the joy. And I started to notice the views just dramatically changed it kind of felt like overnight, but it was like a progressive thing. And yeah, it just sort of changed my life in the sense of, of finding my own purpose, finding my own dharma and, and things that um, I could do to not only share my own sort of joy, but share what I've learned with other people. And it started initially the chill step mixes. And then I think it kind of expanded and and went more into teaching. And so, yeah, I just would say that it started there with the chill step mixes. And then uh, over time, I started to to venture out and just do things that I love and just share that with other people online. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was really cool to because I found you through the chill step mixes as well. Um, I want to say think that maybe Gangaji was one of the first ones that I had listened to from you and it was the first time I had discovered or maybe I had heard of you but that was the first time I had heard of Gangaji and next you know it sent me into just a whirlwind of pleasure exploring her lectures she, she's got a lot of cool stuff on YouTube but um 
Yeah, I, I, I love that because um, it, it sent me to your social media too. And I feel like you're just like a wonderful follow on Instagram. I, I think that um, you've got an artist's eye, that's for sure. Um, you're definitely handy with the camera. You, you post great photos. And then there's always a, a great caption that really like sends me, it, it kind of sends me back into myself. And it's, it definitely is very spiritual. Like even your captions, just kind of what you're expressing about what you're going through, what you're thinking about that day or kind of like, you know, maybe something that you have learned and you're working through in your own life, you just typing that out in your captions is like, ah, that's nice. That's nice. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, a lot of people probably resonate in, in, in relate. I mean, so, so you've gotten quite a few, you know, you can go on SoundCloud and listen to these and, and quite a few people comment on those and like, thank you. And, and you've told me that, um, people enjoy like going on hikes, listening to these mixes and stuff. Like, has it been a lot of good feedback from other people? Yeah, I would say that's that's the really important aspect of it that has really influenced the way I share myself online is the the feedback I receive. And so when I started posting initially, it was on YouTube. And then with the copyright issues, I had to go over to SoundCloud. But even in the comment section of the videos, people would just share and they would just be so vulnerable about the ways that the chill step affected them. And some of them would share, like, I, I listen to this on my walks, on my hikes, or when I'm doing yoga and, and even meditation, and it just brings me, you know, such peace. And, and I, I listen to those stories in the comments and, you know, I've had people reach out to me like through email and even ask me for my number to just talk to me and, and share with me how it's affected them. And it's, it's so great to hear those stories because you don't really recognize that the things you, that you put out there and the things that you share with other people have such an impact. And to be able to connect to those stories, often I'll, I'll listen to my own mixes and I'll start to really feel into the mix itself and, and recognize how many people have actually listened to that mix. And it, it often makes me emotional because I realize the impact of the mix and, and how far it's gone and, and just recognize that recognizing that can be an emotional experience to see, you know, how far it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely taps into like this, this little spring of love of source. I mean, cause it's, you know, a lot of the content of the spiritual lectures are very, you know, you said you're influenced by, by Ram Dass, you know, he's, he teaches the path of the heart, as he would say, or the, the path of love, you know? So it is this, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's cool to kind of be a, you know, an usher of sorts of, of like, ah, here's this great spiritual knowledge. Like there's some, some good stuff in here, like check it out with some dope tunes underneath it. You know, it's cool to kind of pass that along to people. I, I love it. Yeah, I found that the lectures sometimes, at least for me, can be quite dense. And something I didn't recognize is people enjoyed the pause. So when the bass would drop, people would be able to go into contemplation about what they just heard. And I never really thought of it that way, but I recognized in some sense that I related to that in a sense and also found myself in that contemplation when the music kind of took took over and and i really resonated with with that um but when i first started the mixes um just the combination of the music 
with the talk, the way I interpreted that process is I felt like the song had to be perfect in the sense of it had to convey the emotion that was being formulated in the talk. And if the music didn't feel right, I would go back and find another song. And I think that's what really set my mixes apart from other people that were maybe trying to do the same thing. And I've heard people make some incredible mixes, not to say that, you know, mine's like the best, but um, it was the way I went about my process. I think that set it apart from other things that people were hearing online because of it, it was tapping into that emotional aspect of it. So this song really had to be perfect. Like if I tried to mix and it wasn't going in a right direction, I would pause it and just wait for another day and, and try again. And I found that a lot of the mixes, some of them, well, mostly all of them that I have online now, they all got me into that flow state. There was no pushing for the finalized product. It was all just complete flow. And I realized that that was, you know, one of the best products is when you can get into that flow state and there's no frustration involved in the process. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely, that's definitely a, a role of an artist is tapping into your own kind of intuitive knowing of if it feels forced, then you're not going the right way. You know, like it has to feel kind of like this, um, you know, to use Alan Watts's term divine play, it has to feel like this fun, smooth like ah of course that pause goes there ah there that one is you know it's a uh, it's very much I, I i'm pretty fascinated um you know my friend brent who was on the podcast um he he had asked me a question that i think that you know i kind of butchered my answer but it but it made me think more and i contemplated quite a bit basically he was asking kind of what's the relationship between my own spirituality and in my artistry like what is the hand holding there? And it's really like sent me into myself and really thinking about, um, you know, my, my role as an artist and my, like how, how natural state I feel when I'm creating, when I'm making something, when I'm, you know, being a conduit of catching something from the muse and trying to like paste it into a form that I can share with other people. You know, it's a, uh, it's this, it's this dance for sure. Um, I mean, so, so I want to guess pose the question to you. How do you see, you know, your role as an artist and your own personal spirituality? Like, do you see, like, like, how do they hold hands for you in in your personal life? Like, these two separate things seem so far apart, but again, they're kind of the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would say that at first they seem quite separate and then the way they merge together for me is quite natural in the sense that it makes sense to do because you love being an artist and then you love the spiritual path and it almost makes sense to merge them together because it's just two things that you really love and you really enjoy and you know going back to what we were saying about how you get into that flow it reminds me that Ramdas said something like this when you're playing the role and you're playing the role and it's just kind of coming through you quite naturally and you're not busy being in that role as an artist or as a creator it's just that business of creating 
And I really feel when I'm able to get into that flow, um, I really find that it they merge quite well, both the creativity and the the spiritual aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I I hear that because it's like um, yeah, like the spirituality is this natural state already, but then being able to express it without without this yeah, like t- putting on the hat of like. I'm an artist who shares about spirituality. You know, it's more just like, here's some things that I'm expressing and here's how they can naturally ripple outwards. You know, I, I love, um, I love that you mentioned Ram Dass. Ram Dass is one of my favorites as well. I feel like I spent so much time listening to Ram Dass. Um, and, and people, people who listen to my podcast are probably sick of me like referencing Ram Dass, but, uh, so be it. Um, but yeah, he, I, I, I was thinking of, um, I don't know if you ever heard the lecture where he talks about how he was driving and he was just driving for a long way and he had his, uh, was it Mala or Mandala? And he's just repeating his mantra and he's in his head and he's just like playing with his beats as he's driving and then he gets pulled over. And, oh. um, and there's this, this moment, he describes it so nicely. I, I forget the name of the lecture, but uh, it's, he basically is just like bringing out this love in this police officer because he's not treating him like, a police officer in a uniform you know it's just like another being and i'm another being and and here we are and like he was talking ron Voss was talking about how like the cop almost didn't want to let him go at the end because he's just like so in love with each other uh, just being present of just being you know two beings walking each other home as he would say rather than like i'm someone who needs to obey the law and you're a police officer and you can get me in trouble you know it's because we get so caught up in seeing ourselves and one another in our roles that we miss who we really are right so there is this beauty of like just allowing allowing to be there and not trying to run to our identity and not trying to like hide behind our uniforms so to say you know Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah i find that merging the two as a creator and then as someone who's also spiritual it really helps you see the role in a new way. It helps you play the role and also detach from the role. Because I think you said, you know, we get we get lost in those roles and without the emergence of the, the spiritual aspect of it, you can kind of get locked into your role as an artist and, you know, this is who I am and this is what I do. And so I, I that's why I think it's quite natural to bring in that element of spirituality to it to help you detach from it as much as you can yeah yeah very much so it's it's really been a really cool thing for me to comp- contemplate you know um it was something that was you know i it was obviously part of my thought process thinking about my role as an artist and my spirituality and how they hold hands but uh certainly since since brett mentioned that to me i think it's been more at the forefront of my mind and and uh you know how how to do both of those things well because you know our spirituality is so personal you know it's so um as much as it's it's not personal actually in so many other ways it's it's very personal to like you don't really have to share it you don't have to have other people believing the same things you do you don't have to convince anybody of anything you know it's all that but it's also um like this very real experience that we can we can certainly feel you know if we're able to communicate it in some way or like draw draw a picture of what we're experiencing there's something within other people that is that is spoken to, you know, and I think that's like the the core of art is really this. How do you take this very personal thing 
this thing that seems very, um, you know, you try to express it in plain words to other people and it almost sounds like icky because it's so personal and like, oh, it's your stuff. You know, you keep that to yourself sort of thing. But it's, but, you know, experiencing specific human emotions and, um, you know, it's, it's, we're all very aware of, of just being human and, and how, like difficult it can be and how painful it can be and how beautiful it can be. And when we can find ways with our art to kind of pierce the veil of our identities and just speak to that, like, Hey, you know, as Ram Dass would say again, like I, I'm in here, you're in there. How'd you get into that one? You know, that just that little essence of, of just being, you know? Yeah. I think appreciating the uniqueness of everyone's journey which feels quite personal at times just appreciating that unique perspective in someone else can help you come back to that that realization that you know this is something we all share and through the uniqueness of of your journey you know with mine we can still see that it's a shared experience but yeah i found that uniqueness in everyone and and through their own perspectives and and what they share online and and teachers you know of all kinds just sharing their journey and you know really appreciating their unique path really helps you see that people go through this in different ways and they take different journeys you know whether you're you're buddhist or or hindu um just appreciating those unique paths all leading to the same realization Mm. Yeah, it's quite a beautiful thing to like the to poke at or, you know, shine a light on the through line between all of our experience, you know, like however we put it into the words, however we try to like languageify it, you know, it's it's all uh, we're all kind of it's it's all the it's all the same moon that the hands are pointing at, you know, so to say, um, man. So yeah. I, I would love to I would love to ask you about your spiritual journey as far as like. Have you always been into this sort of stuff? Did you stumble upon lectures on YouTube? Did you grow up with like a, you know, Buddhist background up, upbringing? Were, were you always spiritual? Like, how did you even kind of first stumble into any of this sort of stuff? I would say it started only just a few years ago, um, around 2016. I had my kind of spiritual awakening and I wasn't spiritual before that, um, you know, my parents were religious in the sense of one was Christian and the other one was um, into the Jehovah Witness, which was really interesting because those two kind of conflicted with each other. And I didn't really know where I stood with, with religion or, or spirituality. And I didn't know much about spirituality in the sense of there being something um, outside of the normal um, religious perspective of there being one God, like one specific person. And it could be like spirituality seemed something that was less personal. It wasn't just a person you kind of look up to in the sky. So I, I, I knew nothing about that really. And then when I had my spiritual awakening, I, I was really drawn to Buddhism first. And actually, I, I got into um, Buddhism through, through someone online who was making spiritual videos about his path in Buddhism, and he eventually went to Hinduism. Um, I don't know if you know him. His name 
originally was Koi Fresco. <clears throat> and his name now is Vashida Das. Oh, oh, okay, maybe. I, I think so. I feel like that, that rings a bell. Uh, <laughs> d does he have yeah, like a, he, a dark brown beard? He does. Okay, he I had, um, he had uh, dreadlocks for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing who you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, he was just, you know, a, a normal guy in the United States, lived in California, and he was sharing Eastern philosophy online. And I originally, I think, was drawn to exploring the Eastern philosophy after I went through a heartbreak back in 2016. And I really felt like a victim in my own mind and with the world. And I kind of just was really depressed at the time and was really looking for something to alleviate the pain. And I went online and was watching videos about spirituality. And it was interesting, not in the emotional aspect of it. Eventually, I got into it more in depth into spirituality for that reason. But I think what kind of drew me in initially was um, things like seeing auras and mm. the paranormal stuff. And I was always kind of drawn into that. But the more I kind of went down that rabbit hole, the more I was um, open to the emotional side of it, of having inner peace and alleviating trauma and, and all these different things. And so when I discovered Vashita Das, he was making these videos about Buddhism and I had never heard anything about Buddhism or, or Hinduism or any Eastern philosophy. And I really resonated with it. There was just something in me that had that recognition, recognition that this was true for me in some way. So I, I really dove into that um, Buddhist rabbit hole for a while. And then I kind of took on that label and I was like, I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over time I watched him move from Buddhism to Hinduism. He would share videos about the sky Ram Dass. And I, I initially thought to myself, I don't know if I'll get into this Hinduism path because he's talking about this in a more devotional sense. And I don't really, there was something in me that had resistance to that um, because it reminded me of how my parents viewed religion. And I remember as a kid just saying to myself, I don't need religion. I don't need the Bible to be a good person. And I kind of felt like it was something that people were depending on to, to live their lives in such a way that was like, quote unquote, perfect. And um, it was just something I had a lot of resistance to. So initially I resisted Hinduism because of that devotional aspect. But then I kept seeing him mention this person, Ram Das, and I thought, I'll just listen. I'll just give it a shot, you know. And I listened to Ram Das's lectures and I found a resonance in that. And then I discovered his journey with his guru and, and his path in Hinduism from being, you know, a psychologist at Harvard to going to India and then traveling down this, this Hindu path. I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. And I, I kind of also took that, that leap from Buddhism to Hinduism. And at first I, I started to say, oh, I'm Hindu now. And I took on that label as well. And then the more I learned in my journey, the more I recognized um, what's really behind all the labels and the 
trying to identify oneself with a particular path. And I realized how so many religions, Christianity as well, and some aspects of it, they all have that same truth to it, maybe described in different ways. Um, so I really just kind of let go of all the labels and I was like, you know, wherever I can draw truth from, um, I'm just gonna go with that and not really say like I'm Hindu or I'm Buddhist, you know? So I would just say I'm, I'm on a spiritual path. I'm spiritual. Yeah. I, I really like that. You just said wherever I can draw truth from, I think, I, I think I've landed in a very similar position with, with my own path. Like, um, yeah, I'm not caught up with trying to like figure out which one it is that is for me, you know, which one can I devote myself to fully and then I'll like have it all figured out and that's my identity from here on out, you know. It's it, for me it's been kind of the same thing as I keep just uncovering these these like layers of cloaks that I can take off. Like, oh, I don't need that one. I don't need that one, you know, just just in in the pursuit of of truth and it has to like really feel intuitively um in, in alignment with like who I am or 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 it feels like i'm forcing it you know and mm -hmm. it's um i think i think a lot of people I think a lot of people to resonate with your path man i think um wow since 2016 so it's interesting how many of us kind of start the spiritual path from trauma or heartbreak or like suffering you know it's like I, i'm always asking people you know like was it psychedelics that led you there was it was it tragedy um I think um, it's 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 so cool because like you you kind of get to this this point where the person that you have made or the person that you like unknowingly are or have been just simply doesn't work out for for you any longer. It just it's like it's almost like the person breaks and you're there trying to find some sort of grounding, some sort of like way to go forward, you know, some sort of, um, not even just new identity, but like, like, you know, all the answers that you've heard from people around you or your parents or your family or whoever, like, you know, you could try to just jam them into this, you know, the, the, the old square peg and a round hole thing. It just doesn't seem like anything fits. And then, so we're kind of sent sent into our own world of of really taking it serious of man i've got to find something to give me answers like i'm suffering i'm i'm heartbroken you know i've got to find something and then nowadays we have like we were talking about last night like the internet and social media and you know just youtube lectures like what an incredible thing you know how many years ago would it be that in order to get this kind of spiritual knowledge you would have to know the right person and, and really like travel travel somewhere in the mountains the tibetan mountains and give the right person the password so you can go talk to the to the enlightened master so to say and he you know maybe he'll give you some answers but now we can we can be like walking on a path next to our house listening to enlightened masters in our headphones and having uh -huh. profound legitimate you know spiritual awakening so it's i i think a lot of people are kind of set on that path um I was telling you about um, Brent um, Brent Spirit, who who teaches a lot about Kundalini. Um, he he does like this Q and A, these these Zoom calls every week that that have been really enjoyable. I was mentioning to you last night that um, a lot of people are like suddenly falling onto this path of of awakening, and it's so destabilizing, you know. And so to find something that 
feels like home, feels like something we could hold on to a little bit and kind of like it helps us get to the next step at least, you know, whether it's it's just a lecture or it's like one of your chill step mixes or, um, I mean, I wonder how many people you've introduced to Ram Dass alone just from like stumbling upon one of your mixes and then they went down the whole Be Here Now network like rabbit hole of, of wonderfulness, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's cool, man. It's, it, it's cool like our, our paths, how, how we, how we stumble into it. It really is so cool. Yeah, definitely. I, like you said, going back to how you described the person breaking, that was just so such a great image of how it worked out for me is that's the place I found myself in. And I would say the, the breakup was just like the tipping point for me. It was like a, an accumulation of things I had gone through in childhood. And at that point, it, it felt like a breaking down, um, kind of like a death of the old way of doing things. I knew something had to change. And so when I stumbled into this one video in particular before I found Rashida Das, it was just like the core of spirituality. I think that was the title of the video. And he mentioned like when people have this spiritual awakening, Oftentimes it can be quite random, but sometimes it's through traumatic pain. And I just remember tuning into that part and I really fell into that feeling of just being in such a, a low place and, and wanting to have this awakening. So again, I fell into that rabbit hole through this video and just really realized um, how the old way of, of doing things and, and looking for answers through my parents and through this kind of westernized version of religion just wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, I think so many people like, you know, that that's something we hear often is kind of like the, the Western versus Eastern or um, the Western mind, you know, that took me a while to kind of unwind. Well, what do you mean? Like, so I think fundamentally different, as a Westerner than, you know, people who have experienced these spiritual teachings from, from a young age. Um, I mean, and that's, I've really fallen in love with the person who could bridge the gap between the Western philosophical, spiritual stuff in the Eastern, you know, Alan Watts and Ram Dass are super huge for me as well. Um, so I, I wonder, man, what I always like to do with the, with the podcast is like, I always remember that not everybody is so dipped in all of these like spiritual terms or like even even being open to the word spiritual i'm sure you've experienced it you know just like sharing your own interests with people i can watch people shut down like the second i say words like god or spiritual you know of course it makes sense but we have these preconceived ideas of what that already means and some of it is so there's such this quick reaction for a lot of western people that the second we hear the word spiritual we're like okay dude you know it's like all right cool. Like I'm not listening, you know, but, um, sometimes I wish that I could like rename that word and just, you know, like find some sort of, you know, m more welcoming sounding, uh, mouth movement for someone to like really get into it because it's, it's not something that's so far out there. It's, it's really like a profound thing that can, um, enhance and explain a lot of our internal experience. So I wonder do you have interactions with people who, who you know are, are not at all spiritual um but like you're able to maybe like introduce them to these topics in in some sort of ways like how do you how do you describe spirituality to people who aren't immediately into it 
actually um one of my best friends he wasn't spiritual in this in the sense like i was like he was interested in in some things like astrology and knew like a little bit of the basics but didn't really um grasp the whole who are you question and and i could sort of notice that um but the more you just um explain things in in quite a different way without using words like god and and whatnot you can sort of see people take more interest in it and i noticed i had some trouble um with this myself because i found the word god was troublesome and when i got into hinduism the the word of god kind of created some resistance in me and i think that's what initially um kept me away from it and then actually vishuddha das posted a quote on his instagram that made me think about it a little bit more deeply something like uh if you have trouble with the word god you have more work to do and i just thought what does he mean by that like, what do i have to work on and the more i started to just be curious um and to be open to being wrong um I just sort of delved into the meaning of that word and, and the misconceptions that are around that word. And a lot of people, I think they pull back because of these misconceptions and the way the word has been used over the years. And Hinduism allowed me the freedom to regain the power again of using that word God and, and reestablish it in a new way by recognizing that it doesn't have to be what I thought it was in the Western sense of, of being Jesus Christ, you know, some guy that is in the sky. It could be non-personal. It could be an energy that pervades the universe. And you can use different words that make you feel more comfortable. You don't have to use the word God. Um, but initially that quote that Vishuddha Das posted it made me want to figure out what my resistance to that word was and, and why I had the resistance. Um, but initially I used words like source universe and, and things that helped me feel more comfortable. So I would encourage people to do what feels comfortable, but always be open-minded to, to understand your resistance to certain words. And, and really when I describe it to, to my best friend, I, I try and use words that are comfortable for him. Mm -hmm. And I find that the more I do that, the more open he is. And you can sort of see that transformation in people when they become a little bit interested in it. And then they find more things that, um, that resonate with, with them. They start seeking it out on their own time. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you described that so nicely. I, lo I love that. Yeah. And, and that does help to use different, these different words, you know, because there's even certain scenarios where words like source or, um, you know, those can also be a, be a turnoff for people. So it is nice to kind of feel out people's comfortability and kind of, um, you know, me, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to like notice when I do say something, you know, like, oh, oh, I can see their body language is kind of rejecting that thing. So like, let me reel it back in. And, you know, I don't, I don't need to shove my terminology down their throat. Like, I think there's something that we could both have a conversation about here that, um, you know, I don't need to be a slave to my own interpretations and, in, in, you know, specific words about what I'm talking about. There's, 
something within both of us that I'm trying to point to. So whatever words I can add in or, or take away are, uh, you know, helpful to that ushering in of, of, of epiphany in, in a way. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit to, um, you, you mentioned astrology and, and you mentioned, um, I, I think that you've mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you do tarot readings, tarot cards? I do. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I'm, um, those are, those are, you know, I don't have a ton of information. I don't have a ton of knowledge about either of those things, uh, astrology or tarot, but, uh, I, I will say I have some awesome friends who, when they describe, when they kind of like break apart those things for me, or they kind of describe the way they interpret it or kind of how they do, uh, tarot readings, it, it totally resonates. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. That, that totally makes sense. Um, so as much as my knowledge is pretty sparse when it comes to those sorts of things, I'm really fascinated by it. Um, I wonder, you know, what, what have been your experiences with like tarot readings or even astrology, like, and even how'd you get into that stuff? Like, like what, what sparks you with that stuff too? I think I initially found a lot of my information um, on YouTube and just sort of had a curiosity for it. But I think that curiosity was really um, born out of one of my experiences I had at a spiritual convention. They were having tarot readings and I kind of just decided to just get one that day and just see what it was all about. And uh, the guy that was doing the reading for me, he was really hitting on a lot of... um, personal points in my life that I didn't think he'd have information about. And it was so specific in the way that it just took what I was going through and kind of laid it in front of me and really confirmed my experience. And I think that little bit of validation helped me come to terms with what I was dealing with. And I think that's what tarot and an oracle can do for people is show them where they're at in the present moment. And I think a lot of people have misconceptions about tarot and um, it being a, a medium to tell the future. And while it can predict certain possibilities based on the energetics of the present moment, it is more so about where you are in the, in the present moment and how you're dealing with it and maybe some of the limited perspectives or beliefs that you have right now that are contributing to your situation. So I find that I use tarot for myself mostly. Um, I can do readings for other people, but I initially did it for myself to have a better connection to what I would call God or source and, and to myself really. And so the tarot kind of just helps me see where I'm at in the present moment and how I could navigate my situation with a little bit more awareness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It really is kind of a, a a gift of knowledge, you know, as much as it's definitely one of those things that, you know, with anything like not just wholeheartedly believing 100 percent um, or just like thinking this has all the answers or like you said, you know, like, oh, this can predict my future, you know, and I think most most tarot card readers are, are really not even trying to do that. I feel like if you just take a second to listen to them, like most of them are pretty straight up and honest about you know, like I'm not, this isn't 100%. Like here's, I'm reading these things and like take what resonates that, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I've, I've found, um, I've actually never had an in-person reading, 
But I will say I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by, um, you know, via my, you know, one of my vices and addictions is mindlessly scrolling on TikTok. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of been fun to, to kind of see what different, um, you know, like tarot card readers pop up and like, so it's kind of interesting <laughs> to like, you know, you know, again, I think that it's like, it's playing with the algorithm and it's, you know, it's watching what you're, what you're hovering your finger on that sort of thing but i will say that there's a little bit of fun play of as i'm scrolling through just to kind of like stop and go huh i kind of like the way that sounds you know it's it's i i think there's it's there's a little danger in like you know not like really wanting all of that to be true you know like oh this perfect video found me you know but um i don't know right. I, I, I find it fascinating you know i think it's fun yeah, I, I, the, with the tarot readings online and on TikTok, they're really interesting because sometimes you can feel that pull to a certain reading because it's hitting something in you that's that's resonating with it, and maybe the the just of the whole reading isn't one hundred percent accurate. But again, if there's a little bit of truth in it, why reject it? And so sometimes I'll take little bits of videos that I find on the internet, but. It's really important for people to have discernment when a reading comes across because a lot of people are doing it for their own egoic reasons of making money and, and things like that. And tarot is, I think, such a, a sacred practice that should be preserved in some way for helping people in, in a more genuine sense. And I think a lot of people when they're posting, you know, these videos on TikTok, they can be do they can do such a disservice in the way they perpetuate someone's limiting beliefs. So some of the tarot readings you'll say, like, you'll see, oh, your ex is gonna come back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and people can really be like, oh my gosh, she's coming back, you know? And <laughs> that can do them such a disservice in the way they they cling to something. And, you know, while it may be true, um, you have to just use your discernment and see if the message is, is really keeping you in that um, separate space or that attached space. And it, it's really hard for people to have discernment. So, you know, I try not to consume um, tons of readings online. I have like specific readers that I'll listen to. And really, that's just one reader um, on YouTube. Her name's uh, Gemstone Tarot. She's an older lady and she's been doing tarot since she was 17. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tap into your own discernment um, by using your intuition and, and just really seeing if it feels right for you. But again, if you don't have that space in you that is, is really aware of your own um, addictive tendencies or, or your own attachments, it's really easy to um, sort of cling to these readings that you're coming across online. Yeah. 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 I, I think, uh, yeah, you gotta be kind of careful cause you can get made a sucker pretty quick, you know, like you could, you could be kind of giving over your power in, in a way that you didn't really need to be. Or, um, you know, I, I've noticed in myself, that's the same thing as I try to discernment is something, you know, I, I learned firsthand because it, it was interesting to notice. I think when that, when it, the Tarot reading stuff started first popping up on my feed, there was times where even without really wanting to, I was believing more than more of it than I really let on. 
like I found myself, you know, saying something just for example that, that, that you use, like, oh, your ex is coming back or something. I would have something similar. And then I would notice that, I mean, like 20 times, 20 times the rest of the day, I thought about that thing that they mentioned. Like, oh, this is coming your way. And then I kind of had to take a step back and go like, well, man, if I'm <laughs> like, I'm like changing the way that I'm perceiving my everyday life based off of this kind of like random algorithmic TikTok video that popped up, you know, I should be a little more careful with my, you know, it's kind of like lending the power of my mind into, into, you know, someone else's, whatever their reasoning is for posting the video. It's just, you know, it's just kind of dangerous. It's, I, I think using discernment and then, uh, I mean, I'm drawn to say even beginner's mind. I think it's a pretty big Buddhist term, if I recall, is bringing the beginner's mind of like, like just, I, I don't know, be, being open to, to what they're saying, but not, I don't know, I guess just not believing it wholeheartedly, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 That's a big part of it. So if you go into it, believing everything, I could imagine that a lot of the times you'll be very disillusioned in your own life. Just, you know, taking the word of, of someone on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really giving, it's giving your power over and, and you got to like, it's, it, it's a balance, you know, I, I think, um, you know, so many people who have these sudden spiritual awakenings or even just are on a spiritual path, even if it isn't so dramatic and, and sudden as it is for other people, um, it's pretty easy to get sucked into the abyss of the algorithm, whether it's TikTok or YouTube or, or whatever it is, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I mean, when I first started getting into it, um, I was so obsessed with just like, sometimes it would spit out such cool videos on YouTube to me that I'm, you know, staying up till 2 a.m. just like contemplating the most just esoteric, far-fetched things ever. And it's fun, but, you know, as Ron Bass would say, you've got to, you know, remember, always remember your Buddha nature and your social security number, you know, <laughs> like, like you got to keep one foot in, in on the ground with a lot of this stuff too. So, um, yeah. I, I want I wanted to ask you um, and, and feel free to to not share if, if if you would rather not. But have psychedelics played any role in your in your awakening, or have you any experience with that psychedelics? I have, yeah. Um, well, I first started with LSD, and I will say that was a bit too intense for me. It lasted for I would say more than twelve hours, and I remember oh taking it. <laughs> late at night and then having to do responsibilities in the morning oh, and I no. didn't sleep all night. <laughs> so I had that experience and it was just, it was all visual stuff. You know, I was just seeing all the, the trippy visuals and there was not a single part of me that was like contemplating philosophical things. So that was just kind of an intense experience. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to try mushrooms. And so I've done mushrooms um, quite a few times. I would say at least four times. Um, I haven't used them in a really long time. It's been a long time since I've used any kind of psychedelic. Um, and those are the only two sub substances that I've ever tried and had experiences with. And when I did mushrooms, it was definitely different than LSD. It was, it was a little visual. I had that um, breathing wall effect that people talk about where can see your walls breathing and, and all of that but it really brought me into my mind and I was contemplating things like the ego and and I had some spiritual 
um, basis before moving into psychedelics. So when I was using the mushrooms, I could contemplate these concepts, these spiritual concepts, because I had that, um, I familiarized myself with some of those. And when I was drawn into, I would say, one of my most um, important experiences that I've had on mushrooms, um, it started off being a really great trip at first. Um, I remember just being at total peace when it first started. I remember being in my kitchen, uh, summer, windows were open, kids were getting off the school bus and there was just this slight breeze in the air. And I just remember sitting in the kitchen at the table and just kind of glancing out the window and, and feeling at complete peace. And the only thing that I could think of um, was this phrase, everything makes sense. And I don't know how to describe <laughs> that or anything. <laughs> it's like thinking to myself, like what, what makes sense? You know, I, I couldn't answer that question, but I just felt like I knew I was at complete peace. And then it was interesting that that totally began to change and the trip, the, um, the trip changed in such a way that it, it turned into a bad trip. Mm. And I came down into my basement where I was living. I lived with family and I came down into the basement where I kind of reside and there wasn't a lot of light in the basement. And I think that played into it. Mm. And I was by myself during this whole experience. And I remember coming into the basement and just falling into like a depression and acknowledging my own fears I didn't know I had. And I think that when I was researching mushrooms, there was a lot of um, talk around how mushrooms bring out some of your deepest fears. And so I was recognizing that maybe I was having that experience of just uncovering fears I didn't know I had. And I remember when I was in that depression um, during the trip, the fear that came up for me was feeling alone and being alone. Mm. And I, I really began to, to panic during the trip and I had to go online and, and look up ways to kind of reduce the effects of the psychedelic. And I, I went on YouTube and I was listening to this video and this guy was kind of like talking you through it, like reminding you you're tripping right now and to just, to just breathe and relax. I remember listening to meditation music, kind of laying on the bed and just being all curled up in this this really low space and just wishing that the trip would end and eventually it kind of um i like i got past the peak of the experience of the trip and then i started to come down a little bit and started to feel more reassured of like it's it's coming to an end now and i'm returning back to my normal self and I realized that that experience showed me the possibilities of awakening and of the spiritual path and how one can, you know, be at peace and, and come to enlightenment and, and what it's like. Go more deeper into my spiritual path. Lynn, you, you just, uh, you pause for a second. Will you just repeat that last sentence there? It just skipped out just a hair. I would say that psychedelic experience I had really helped 
propel me forward into my spiritual journey more deeply because I recognize the potential possibilities of the path. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. Beautifully said. Thanks for sharing that too, by the way. I'd, I'd love to hear, um, uh, what, what, what was the word that you were thinking of at the beginning before it got bad? You were saying, um, like it's, it's all okay or something like that. It, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was giggling because, um, for me when I do mushrooms, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I, well, I think it's because I've like listened to so much Ram Dass. I, I feel like I hear Ram Dass's, um, guru say, um, don't you see that it's all perfect? And so like my, that is kind of like a, a mantra that happens for me if I take any sort of mushrooms is I'll just be like, ah, it's all perfect. Don't you see it's all perfect? And it kind of like unwinds whatever I was, I was trying to hold on to. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that you shared that too, because, um, you know, as we're learning, as, as more and more of like the psychedelic world is, is being spoken about and being worked into and like being you know scientifically studied and helping people with their mental health and like being applied to certain you know veterans and people with um you know like non-responsive um major depressive disorder all these incredible things um one of one of the biggest things and it seems like it's just this casual like oh make sure you do this but one of the biggest things that you'll hear is set and setting you know like your your environment your how you've set up your day, making sure you have, you know, nothing super important to do in a few hours, making sure the people around you are understanding or um, give you your space. Like there's all these, these things about your set and setting to set up to give you like the most optimal um, experience, but also, also learning and finding ways for us to express as a culture that a bad trip isn't necessarily just that. You know, on the other side of it, there's there's something to be taken from that. Um, the you know, as as turbulent as the experience can be while you're while you're undergoing it, like all you want to do is stop it and like, how do I stop tripping out and I'm having a bad trip? You know, it's, I'm, I'm glad you found that video. This seems to be kind of helpful. You know, even just like reminding us to breathe and like, oh, dude, you you're tripping, so it's okay. Just you know, you're gonna be fine. That sort of thing is very helpful. But um. I think, um, you know, that, that integration afterwards is, I think you'll hear many people talk about, uh, psychedelics. It, it's not just the trip that you're benefiting from. It's like, I mean, sometimes there's like the following weeks and the following months, even your, these things that you kind of unearthed within you are, are now kind of being worked out and they're kind of, you know, they might've been on the peripheral side of your, of your vision of yourself, but they're kind of working their way in, in front of you for, for, for you to deal with. Um, I did, um, and I still am not a hundred percent sure where I land with it. I'm hoping that, hoping that I can continue to learn with it, but I did microdosing of psilocybin for like five months, um, a couple of years back. And, um, it was interesting, like the things, like all of my preconceived ideas of why I was microdosing, like, okay, well, I'm dealing with major depressive disorder and I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do antidepressants ever again. So like, let's try, maybe this will help with these things and blah, blah, blah. All these like things about me that I thought I needed to fix. I thought that those were going to come up when I was microdosing. But instead, one of the weirdest things I've talked about it before is I actually started accepting my like more like aggressive side of myself. Like I've, I found myself at work, like standing up for myself a lot more. 
I found myself like being a lot more stern in my conversations, like areas that I hadn't realized that people were kind of like walking over me and kind of like mistaking my my kindness for weakness sort of thing. I started like calling people on their bullshit, not in like a, you know, it's not like it became some sort of mean tyrant or anything, but just in the subtle way that only I could notice, um, the, the microdosing seemed to like bring this thing to the forefront of my mind that I, that I realized later on that, you know, like it's okay to be stern. It's okay to like feel anger, honestly, like anger is okay. Like it, letting it control you or like having outbursts, you know, nobody wants that, but it's okay to like use this emotion of, um, you know, like sternness and, and, um, you know, if I truly think that something is right and I truly think something is worth standing up for, it's okay to, you know, kind of like raise the tone of my voice a little bit once in a while. And it was just very interesting because like that was not at all what I was thinking I would get out of, of microdosing, you know, in, in any way. And um, so, so it's, it's very interesting, man. I, I, I think, uh, I, I wonder if, so, so you said when you were doing that trip, um, there was like this, this feeling of being alone, like when you went into the basement and the lighting was different and stuff. Do you think that that the following months or the following, you know, time afterwards, did that make you kind of look at your relationship with, with being alone in, in some ways? Did that like become more things to unwind for you? It, it showed me the peaceful aspect of it. Like I said, the, the possibilities of becoming more peaceful on the spiritual path, but it also showed me things that I needed to work on. And one of those things was feeling like I'm alone and what that really means for me. And my relationship to, to loneliness now has changed quite a bit. And I realized that the kind of loneliness that I was feeling during the trip um, was feeling like I couldn't um, count on people to be there for me. And I realized that was actually my own insecurity and not really loneliness in, in that sense, but more so um, feeling really separate from people and having to understand what that really means for me. And yeah, that that trip was really interesting because, like I said, it showed me like the two sides of the coin and and how you know this other side of it can really affect you on your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's such an incredible thing. I'm really excited for the future of, of like the psychedelic studies, you know, of course, helping people with PTSD and these sorts of things. But, you know, um, something that I've probably said over and over on this podcast, too, is Terrence McKenna would say, like, if the evolution of consciousness isn't the way out, then I don't know what is, you know. And and I think the more we learn about ourselves and the more we learn about our identities and the more we're able to like take these experiences that happen while we're um, under the influence of some sort of psychedelic drug and, and integrate them in a way that helps us understand who and what we are. Um, I think, I think so allows us to act from that place of, of who and what we really are rather than our egoic, you know, like I'm, you know, I, I'm this police officer. And so I have this, you know, power over people and they do what I say, you know, just like getting caught up in our, our roles and our identity, which is so easy for the, the Western mind. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of valuable stuff like that can be gained from just like being shown who you truly are. Right. Like you just, it's like, so it's so freeing, you know? And so I don't know I, I, um, thanks again for sharing them. And I, I love, I love to think of the future of 
what psychedelics will bring our culture and kind of um and also on on another side note like like i don't know if this freaks me out or if it excites me or both equally but uh, i've heard uh this guy hamilton morris who is like very dipped into like the psychedelic community he talks about like with this new technology and new ai stuff they're going to be able to start synthesizing new psychedelics and like i mean what do we do with that like i mean i don't want to be the guinea pig for that but also yeah. some parts it's like how exciting you know but um i don't know if, if if we could bring it in a way that helps us understand ourselves in 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 the universe and our place in it and um you know also if if exploring these new technologies with psychedelics can ease suffering you know i mean let's let's do it let's let's sail into the unknown you know it's kind of exciting yeah i mean not many people know, and I, I don't even really know if I would call it like a microdose, but it was definitely not a full dose. I definitely knew that I didn't want to take a full dose. Um, this night I was experimenting with the mushrooms, um, but I thought I'm going to take like a really small microdose and and try and do a chill step mix. So mm -hmm. the mix that I ended up completing was, it's on my SoundCloud. It's the only OSHA mix that I have right now. And I remember... Um, before I even started making the mix, um, I was really contemplating um, the ego and the personality. And my mind was just spinning circles on on the mushrooms and just thinking about things. And I remember saying to myself, like, it doesn't exist. I don't exist. And I remember just my mind kind of being blown apart during that and just thinking, wow, like it just just doesn't exist, you know. And it just gives you things to think about when you kind of come off your trip and you've kind of get your reality back of, of, you know, you can think about things that happened during the trip and kind of explore um, what that means to, quote, not exist. Um, but I remember making the OSHA mix and I heard, you know, his story and, and his kind of thing of like having all the Rolls Royces and and being this this guru that had a lot of scandals behind it and and I remember just making the mix and and listening to what he was saying and I was like well it sounds good so I'm just going to use it and just try and make this mix and when I listen to the mix um when I'm not on a psychedelic I realized that the mix is actually quite simple it was quite um not really complex or not really dense. And it was interesting because when I was on the psychedelic making the mix, um, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like this yeah. is good stuff. Yeah, you this know? Is the answers <laughs> to the universe I found. Yeah. Right. And I remember just, just vibing out to the music and just thinking such an incredible experience this is. And I was so excited to post that mix to YouTube because I thought it was like the greatest thing I ever made. And I, I look back now and it's a, it's a good mix, but it's, it's definitely not in my top three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to put a hard question to you. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, I'm always kind of aware of the listener that like, doesn't really know what the heck we're talking about, but it's kind of interesting. What do you mean when you say you don't exist? <laughs> um, I would say to that, it can be a very complex answer. I think the purpose of the spiritual path is to kind of understand that answer. 
and you can kind of explain it and I'm not really the greatest with words, but when I do try and make sense of it and, and explain that to someone else, I would say that um, your storyline of, of who you think you are, like your childhood experiences and the way you re relate to, to reality itself and, and kind of who you believe yourself to be um, doesn't actually exist in the sense of like it's not the absolute truth it's it's relatively real but it's not it's not what you would call reality in the way that you think reality works and so it, it that's a really hard thing to grasp and, and a really hard thing to explain to people and i think that when you have a spiritual awakening you can kind of understand what that means intuitively and you can feel what that means rather than um, have some sort of specific explanation for it. And I think the more you you learn about it, the better you can be at explaining it to other people. And so I'm still learning ways to explain it better to people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why that's why I prefronted I, I preloaded that with like, hey, I'm gonna ask you an impossible question because it's like <laughs> so, sometimes I'll hear myself kind of stumble into something that's like, well, it kind of makes sense. And then sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be just kind of like talking with somebody and, and we'll go somewhere. And I realize that I've just freaked this person out because I've just like told them that the self doesn't exist. And I'm very like, you know, uh, like I'm very sh sure about it, you know, and they're like, what are you talking about? Because it's, it's inevitably freaky, you know, it's, it's just something that it's, I mean, basically in the first place, even questioning like a self or uh, like even just going to the point of you don't realize it, but you have a jump off point. Like you have an identity that you act from and you've probably never really even thought about that fact before. And, you know, th there's a lot of stuff that you can, there's a lot of questions that you can go through and there's a lot of videos on YouTube and stuff that can kind of unwind, you know, like, so who are you? Um, are you your arm? No, I'm not my arm. I'm, I am my arm, but I'm not just my arm. Okay. Like, are you, um, you know, who, who is pumping your organs right now? Is it you? Well, no, I mean, I have organs, they're inside my body, but you know, you can like just kind of unwind these things and realize that you're just much more vast. And, um, I understand that, that it, I understand sometimes when I explain it, how I freak people out. And so I'm always like backpedaling and, and, um, um, you know, because it's kind of this beautiful freeing thing. If you, if you can kind of really, um, not in intellectualize it, not really truly grasp it, but there's kind of this this feeling that it pokes in, and it's um, it helps you kind of like take off a little bit of like the, the really tight clothing of of being a small separate self who is who is suffering, you know, rather than just like um, the experience of consciousness in, in the present moment. So it's it's um, it can get really freaky. I I I feel drawn to. I was just listening to. Um, have you heard of Sam Harris, Landon? Have, have you heard of him um yeah i believe you actually mentioned him to me before i think that's oh, yeah. where i heard that name right right yeah yeah uh, I, I sent you one of his lectures he has this lecture death in the present moment it's it's one of my favorites it's um it's a little dry it's a little like um it, it doesn't really have like a gentleness that a lot of spiritual teachers have because sam is very like um he's very scientific with with his stuff so it comes across a little cold and kind of like hardened in, in some senses but there's a lot of value but um basically and hopefully i don't butcher this too much but 
he talks about the best metaphor for this, like no, no self thing or like looking for the self or, um, you know, like a lot of meditations are kind of like, they'll have some sort of cue point um, of, you know, you're in this meditative state and they'll go, okay, now look for the one who is looking, you know, and that's like, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, and it's supposed to kind of like do this about face. You find that there's nothing to find and it's kind of gets you to this peaceful, open space of not looking for who you are like you kind of just instantly like in the just like you hit a bell it has this reverberating frequency after you hit the bell it's kind of that like you just rest in this like there's nobody to find sort of thing so sam harris has this pointer of look for the one who's looking um he gives this metaphor that essentially there was this um it was like a tour bus in asia and uh there's all these people on this bus and they made a stop at some sort of like gift shop or something of the like. And everybody got off and they had some time. Okay, everybody meet back at the bus in an hour. And there was people of different languages. So there was language barriers, um, you know, amongst all the participants on the bus. And one of the ladies who was by herself, she she changed her clothing. So like she went into the bathroom of this gift shop, or whatever, and changed her clothing, put her all clothing in the bag. Um, and then it was, you know, an hour had passed, everybody was coming back onto the bus and the lady who was sitting next to the person, um, who had changed was like, wait, hold on, we're missing somebody. The lady that was, that was sitting next to me, you know, wearing a, a red shirt or whatever, like I'm not seeing her. And so everybody, again, there's language barriers, so it couldn't be like completely communicated and everybody started looking for this woman. And then apparently it turns into like a search like, you know, nearly like call the helicopters, like this lady is missing. And what happens is the lady who had changed because of language barrier a lot too, she didn't realize that she was there. They were looking for her, but she had changed her clothes. They were looking for like a small Asian lady who meets this description. And she didn't realize that this entire time. So she jumps in on the search. She's looking for herself and she doesn't even know it. And so they like the hours go by, you know, it's deep into the night. And then um, the way Sam Harris explains it is like suddenly at like three o'clock in the morning through whatever like conversations, this lady suddenly realizes, oh, we're looking for me. I'm helping. I'm helping a search for me. I was never missing. And so a lot of the point with the looking for oneself is that she was never missing. There's no self that can now be found. Like the way to, to call off the search isn't to find the lady that was missing. It's to realize that she was never missing in the first place. And a lot of the um, that move in meditation of kind of like the Advaita Vedanta uh, Zogchen way of, of uh, like the meditative looking for oneself, you realize there's nobody to find. That metaphor kind of paints it nicely because it's not to complete this task, we must find this lady. It's to realize that she, she was never missing in the first place. And so this non-self of how do I find that there's no me to see this like movement of looking back upon oneself and saying that you were never there isn't so much of a you know a success that you cross a finish line it's realizing like the it's almost a flaw in the question itself um and and I found that he I was just listening to a podcast with Sam Harrison he repeated that he's repeated it a couple of times but he retold that story and so it's it's um it's, it's fresh in my mind but um I, I can see how that's that's confusing um, uh, for many people who are like, aren't super familiar with it, but it's also this kind of fascinating story of going, ah, like, okay. So there was never really a, 
there's never really a self to be found in, in, in the first place. Um, and, and I don't know if, um, if, if any of the people that you listen to lecture wise, if, if they, if they have any of those sort of, of pointings to, or anything stands out to you, um, about kind of the, the no self stuff, but, uh, I don't know, man, does it, does that resonate with you? Like, do, do you ever have any of your experiences of kind of being like freaked out by the no self notion at all too? I, I wonder. Um, yeah, it was hard for me to <clears throat> understand kind of what that meant. Um, it was, just felt like a very loaded question. I was like, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. And I feel like what helped me most actually a teacher that helped me understand it, um, was Muji because he, um, sort of did that peeling back of asking the question, like, are you your arm? Are you your body? And you sort of go through that process of, of answering those questions. And then you kind of come to this space where you're like, okay, well then if I'm not the body and if I'm not the mind, then who am I? And it, it sort of opens you up to that question in a way that you can understand it. Cause I remember listening to, um, non-dual teachers who, um, were quite different than Ram Das, and, and Ram Das definitely speaks from the heart and he talks about very vulnerable things. And, and that's initially why I was drawn to him. Um, but there was a teacher, um, Rupert Spira, I think that's how you say his name, but he's a non-dual teacher and listening to, to his videos online at first were hard for me to understand and contemplate. And he definitely says things in a way that I think can be difficult for anyone to understand if they're new to that information. And the more you're around it, the more you start to, to understand it. But I think Muji, the way he teaches his self-inquiry helps people um, understand or detach from the things that they think they are and helps point to, to a deeper place. And, um, the use of the word, like, just pure awareness that that helps you understand it a little bit more and kind of helps you put a name to it um even though it's quite formless in that way and the more i listened to or the more i used muji's process the more i started to understand um teachers like rupert and and sort of the non-dual way of explaining things and i think what's interesting is Sometimes that way of explaining the non-duality um, I have found has led me to um, spiritual bypass. And it's very interesting because Ramdas definitely incorporates the heart aspect of it. And a lot of the non-dual teachers that I see emerging in this space and um, teachers that are are not well known right now, but they're they're kind of doing their own little side gig and and coming to their own realizations and and sharing those realizations. I found recently that um, th this might not be true for everyone, but the way I perceived it really led me to some kind of spiritual bypassing um, because it was this. Uh, way of clinging to a spiritual concept like non-duality to mm -hmm. take you out of your emotions and your feelings. And so I kind of had to go through that um, spiritual bypassing phase and, and recognize that 
that's what I was doing and I wasn't conscious of it. So when I realized I was doing it, I kind of had like all these recriminations towards myself of like, you know, I can't believe you, you bypassed in this way. And, and the way you can kind of share that with other people and sort of um, introduce them into spiritual bypassing. Um, I really had a lot of shame around that. And so I had to understand how that happened and, and how I got to that initial bypassing and how non-duality um, is perfectly explained, but definitely when you're perceiving it or when you're um, introducing yourself into that information, it's really great to also include your heart into those teachings as well. Mm, yeah, brilliantly said, man. I love that. Could you, um, for someone who maybe isn't familiar with the term spiritual bypassing, how do you describe it? Um, recently, I like to look at definitions online to to really understand what it is because I was trying to to decipher that uh, when I was seeing myself do it, and I recognized that for me it it felt like a clinging to some kind of spiritual concept to initially avoid or have aversion towards emotions that you feel in the body and to mm. um, I would describe it as a, a pre transcendental state it's a feeling of overcoming your emotions in some sense but really what you're doing is is avoiding them but it gives the illusion um, that you've kind of overcome the emotions of the human experience and you're more identified with your your spiritual um, identity in that sense yeah yeah i i like that and i think what's what's been fun for me is um like noticing how often I have different versions of spiritual bypassing come up. Like it's not something like, okay, I conquered spiritual bypassing. I won't do that again. It's like, you know, there's always some little other version that sneaks its way in. It's like a constant unfolding. It's like, okay, in which ways am I doing that same thing again? Oh, I'm trying to like just insert that I don't have a self who could ever feel that bad emotion. So it must not exist. You know, like it's a, it, it, it can really get kind of like, really get kind of messy, you know? And, and I think that, um, is something that like can really be explored and it can really it's something that could take its own shape and its own form continuously too like i don't think there's even just like trying to trying to ask you to define what spiritual bypassing is is tough because it's like a continuous kind of thing that we always almost if, if you're on some sort of path or you're listening to any of these sort of things you kind of have to be keep you have to put yourself in check almost you know you have to really op open new doors and see what what kind of comes at you Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've recognized that the the spiritual bypassing is is a part of the path, and to kind of push it away and and hold some kind of shame around it, just really instills the the feedback loop, and it's been really useful to kind of break that loop when it starts to to circle around, and you start to have that shame of like I can't believe I did this, and just sort of break in at that point and just have that awareness that um, you were unconscious while you were doing it. And if you kind of mm. knew you were doing it, you wouldn't do it. Right. And, you know, there's people like, like Carl Jung, who there's a quote, can't remember it in its entirety, but he says, you can't chase shadows of light. You have to integrate your shadow cell. 
and and really what's happening is when you're when you're bypassing there's kind of like a split within you because one part of you feels one way and the other part of you feels completely different and you can't come to that um, place where you transcend something if you're split in two different ways and so yeah, it's it's really important to to integrate those those parts of us that that feel one way and to really embrace our emotions and um, hold the balance between um, being on a spiritual path and also having a human experience. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, wh- how it showed up for me a lot at the beginning was like this overwhelming level of toxic positivity. I was like, if it's not good vibes, get it away from me, you know, like in any point, uh, um, I actually use it at, at, at the end of one of my songs is a, a Ram Dass quote, um, where he talks about like how he, he did all this work and he was meditating and blah, blah, blah. And he, he got all this Shakti and Tej. And then he says, but the problem was I wasn't free. You know, like you can reject everything that's negative or nasty and just not look at it. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. You know, that's a it's another it's another trick we play on ourselves. You know, it's because part of you're not just a spiritual being. You know, you're also a spiritual being. You're very human, too. And you're going to get angry and you're going to have, you know, you know, you're going to get a rash that itches that you got to itch and you got to take out the garbage and you got to, you know, there's all these things about, um, you can't just reject anybody that's coming about in in your life. I remember just more on my toxic positivity. I, I had this friend group message that like had just been, you know, just a friend group message. You know, they're just sometimes it's memes. Sometimes it's like, you know, just talking shit. Sometimes it's just, you know, just hanging out with your friends in a group message sort of thing. And I remember when I first started going through all this stuff, like anybody that would start sending anything that I deem to be not positive, I would respond back like, Hey, I don't want to hear it, man. I'm going through a lot right now. Like keep that away from me. And I was like trying to control the way that my, like people that I loved, my friends, I was trying to control the way that they showed up and, you know, just like, you better keep that away from me. Or you're not going to be friends with me. And like, I see now how, how, how incredibly dorky that was with me. And, you know, it was what, but also, you know, just like you said, very elegantly was, um, like giving myself patience because I, I felt really guilty once I realized what I had done. I felt really like gross and like, ah oh man, like why did I try to control my friends and blah, blah. And, and that started this, you know, shame spiral. And, you know, then you got to kind of give yourself some grace. It's like, man, I didn't know. I thought that I was trying to do the right thing at the moment. I thought that, I thought that like the bad vibe stuff was actually what was harming me, you know, when it was something that I just need to like understand more about myself and, and integrate all of those things. You know, it's not like you just integrate only the good fluffy stuff, you know, it's, it's all of it. It's the, the human experience is is not just seeking happiness. It's, it comes with depression and sadness and heartbreak and, and negativity and, and all of it, you know, it's the whole thing that you, that you accept, not just reject all the bad so it can all be good. Right. Yeah. And I understand it in the way that, you know, we see things like non-duality and, and we listen to teachers like that who have a, a different way of explaining things as opposed to someone like Ram Dass. And I kind of see that when you have these experiences where there's a lot of emotion in you and you your, your responsibility is to integrate those emotions, but also recognize that you can't come to these higher realizations unless you intuitively feel it like within your body almost 
Um, you can understand things conceptually and you can have a lot of knowledge, but I don't think that it really converts to wisdom unless you have some kind of experience or awakening, mm -hmm. um, which at times can be quite an emotional thing. And I think the, the way I was kind of bypassing it was understanding it intellectually. Um, and then there were other parts of, of my body that weren't really um, in that place of understanding because it hadn't integrated itself. It was only trying to reach those things through the mind and, and not intuitively. Mm, I, I would love to explore a little more on that. I mean, as someone who listens to a lot of these spiritual lectures, um, I think that you might have a good input on this, like the, the, like the intellectualizing versus the, like just allowing it to kind of work in your body sort of thing. Um, like the, you know, I, I think a lot of people, if, if they listen to like a lot of the spiritual lectures that, that we enjoy, um, I think a lot, like, a, especially in the Western world, we're kind of trained to like, listen. So we have the information so we can take the test later and get the answers right and get an A plus on our report card, you know, but like a lot of this stuff is not, I mean, part of the most important thing while you're listening is trying is <laughs> rather not trying to grab onto it the whole time, not trying to intellectualize it, like allowing your mind to think and, and explore and go, oh, what does that mean? And all that stuff. But being OK with the not knowing, like being OK with kind of your feet off the ground sort of thing, because a lot of those spiritual lectures I mean, for me anyway, um, and, and let me know if it's like this for you, it feels like it's working through me if I'm, if I'm doing it right. You know, if I'm, if I'm, it's, it's trying, it's me getting out of my way intellectually, trying to not hold it and grab everything that I'm hearing and trying to like compare it with other things I've heard and blah, blah, blah. It's just kind of like listening and almost just having this internal head nod of like, ah, oh, okay, I, I hear that, you know. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder how you parse those two things kind of like, Allowing it to work through your body versus intellectualizing it and trying to grab onto it. I think you said a very good point about um, kind of not having a place to really put your feet on the ground. And it just reminds me of Ram Das, not having a place to stand and understanding that you may not know all the different complexities of it and just being open to the mystery and and really having um, nowhere to stand um, allows you to be on different planes simultaneously and i think that intellectually when you're kind of grabbing onto something you're essentially putting your place um, putting yourself in a place to stand and yeah i think really the purpose of it is to to stand nowhere and to to be on these planes simultaneously and and to not be just in the spiritual plane and to also, you know, have your your heart in the the human experience, which is can be described as a different plane than like the spiritual plane. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's like it's all spiritual, you know. It's not this whole this whole separate thing, you know. It's not this. It's and it's also not trying to take everything we hear and only fit it into spirituality. You know, it's it's like how to, it's right. very much we're very much having a human experience, and and part of that is, you know, discovering our spiritual nature and, and those sorts of things. But it's also all, all the icky stuff that comes with being a human too, and, and, and getting mad and getting upset and having heartbreak and, you know, farting and, and all of it. You know, like it's all, 
it's all it's all you know right for the taking you know yeah the way i kind of um remind myself is it's the emotions and stuff that's not any less spiritual it's 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 all part of the dance it's all it's all spiritual and it's when you begin to separate it and see it as something that's that's separate from your kind of spiritual understanding of something you begin to kind of push it away from yourself and it's when you see it as spiritual you embrace the emotions and pull them in closer Mm, yeah nicely said um I, i wonder what you think about like the modern spiritual lecture that's on YouTube and the like the guru nature. So we've mentioned Ramdas, uh, you know, tons of times, a, a favorite of both of ours, certainly. Um, and, and he followed, you know, what's known as the path of the guru. He found like a, you know, an actual like physical man who um, who he like followed and he devoted himself to. And like, you know, ev- every word that his guru said um you know, was, was like everything to Ram Dass and, and th- this whole path of the guru. Um, I wonder like the, the modern guru, sometimes I wonder if it's like, like literally YouTube lectures. Like, I mean, I have so many teachers. I have so many teachers. Like it's, I couldn't just pick one. I mean, there's, I certainly have favorites, you know, I, I certainly have like certain people on online that I love listening to. Like, you know, many of them you include in, in, in your chill step mixes. Um, but I wonder like, like if the path of, you know, spiritual enlightenment or the path of the guru kind of does change in like have its own evolution of like, cause man, think about how many, how many dudes just like you and me get profound, like spiritual, you know, advancement or, or like, you know, steps towards enlightenment for, for lack of way, way better words there. Um, just from like YouTube lectures, like, like, do you wonder about like the, the path of the guru kind of becoming its, its own kind of new thing in, in, in a sense? It's really interesting because I remember, um, Ram Dass talking about his relationship to Maharaji and how, when he left his body, um, he was still kind of, in his experiences through his day-to-day life. And so anytime something would come up, you know, he would think, oh, it's just my guru, you know, just sort of messing with me and and having that uh, relationship um, has helped me in my connection to Ram Das because I didn't know, you know, Maharaji personally. So there isn't quite the same pull that there is to, to Ram Das. And, you know, now that he's left his body, um, even when he was still alive, I think I kind of created that same relationship to Ram Das, where if something was happening and I was caught in my day-to-day experiences, I would just think of Ram Das and think of his voice and, and what he would say to me in that moment. And so in that sense, um, I would say he kind of became my own little guru. Mm-hmm. And then like with teachers online, um, there's so many teachers that I also look up to and, and think about their teachings and in my day-to-day life and kind of hear their voice as well. So, yeah, I think that they all have this um, potential to, to be gurus to me in, in any moment. And I think um, what I've been recognizing is some of the people that I, my mind kind of puts up on a pedestal, I come back to, to that saying, um, God, guru, and self are one and the same. 
and I recognize that these people are a direct reflection of that own um, innate essence that exists within me. And so whatever knowledge I'm picking up on from someone else is just something that I already know, something I already am. And so I, I've kind of break that separation of like, um, putting that person up on a pedestal and kind of worshiping, worshiping them in that sense and, and see it as worshiping myself. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Because it's, um, it really is in, in, I mean, many people say it certainly Ram Dass, it really is like a remembering rather than someone parsing entirely new knowledge to us. And then we like make our own decisions from there. Like when you allow like the spiritual lectures or these things that they're pointing out to work through you, there is some sort of, uh, like you fall back into it rather than lean forward and do the work and, and arrive there. You know, it is this remembering is, is really, I think the best word when, when you're uh, allowing the spiritual lectures to kind of work through you is it's reminding you who you are, not teaching you who you are in a sense. Like I, it, it, it really is. It, it, I'm drawn to Ramdas has this thing where he talks about this, uh, this lady who is sitting in the front row, this, this older lady. And, uh, he was giving his lecture and, um, he was, he was just talking about the whole time, this older lady, she's just nodding her head. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like, you know, I get it. Oh yeah. You're saying it right. That sort of stuff. And then afterwards he talks to her and, uh, and he was curious. He's like, he's like, how do you like, how do you know, you know, like, what do you, do you what, what do you practice? And she leans into him and she's like, I knit. Yeah. And it's just this <laughs> like, oh, it's just so wonderful. You know, like it's, it's this thing that we already know, like however you get there is okay. But there's something about, you know, the divine you, what you think you are, that's like, that can't be taken away. It can't you know, even if language itself was, was erased, like it's still there, you know? And so a lot of what these, you know, teachers or gurus or whatever are trying to share is, is, um, you know, this thing that you've always been that you couldn't possibly not be. <laughs> and so it's just reminding you what you are not. And it comes with it a remembering of, of all that you are. Yeah. Um, the, the non-duality teachers uh, kind of helped me come to this realization like in the Western religion, the tendency is to to place God outside yourself and to to worship this thing that is separate from you. And I think even on the spiritual path, like listening to Ramdas talk about his relationship to God and and when you listen to that, you can kind of still have that separation feeling in you of like, this is, God is something outside of me. And I really came to recognize the ways in which I was doing that um, to myself and how I was placing this kind of idea outside of myself. And the non-duality teachings helped me recognize that that um, God that we speak of is the self and the true self. And it really just opened me up in a new way because I stopped um, identifying with my smallness and recognized um, the vast expansiveness of of who I really am and what that really means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a 
I, I, I feel, uh, so I have this, and I got it years ago. I have on, on my wrist, one of my tattoos is only I can judge me. And uh, years ago is before I had any sort of spiritual background. Um, and it, it was kind of like this jokey, I'm sure you've heard the, the Tupac term, only God can judge me. And I wasn't like religious or spiritual or, or had any, I had I had no place for those words to sit in, in my life. Um, I didn't grow up with any of that sort of background. None of it was anything to me until I was like 26, actually. But uh, it's so funny because I walk around with this, you know, it's looking me right in the eye all the time. It's right on my right wrist, you know. And it's funny because the meaning of the tattoo has has drastically changed to me. You know, like this, the eye on it is this very big capital I. And so now I see it not as this like small, like, oh, you can't judge me. I'm an individual, you know, like I'm so cool is what I probably thinking when I got the tattoo but now it's like only I capital I can judge me and so as much as I was trying to be cool and get rid of the only God can judge me it's like even more prevalent like the the God that is that is within me is you know right here on my wrist yeah it's funny you say that I have like a similar tattoo story um at the time when I was like really young going through my teenage years I related a lot to metal music and what you would call screamo and it helped me um kind of get to know my own emotional pain through that kind of music and there was a band um they did a lot of music where it was like spoken word poetry uh, i don't know if you're familiar they're called law dispute and at the time i thought to myself that for my first tattoo, I was going to get a law dispute tattoo and I was going to get some lyrics, um, to put on. And it's basically just like a flower on my forearm with a quote, just a lyric. And it says, we are not our failures. And at the time I just thought, you know, it was just a cool tattoo, you know, whatever. And then <clears throat> the more I look at like the quote itself, we are not our failures. I often look at that tattoo when I'm spiraling through, you know, my own kind of shame and whatnot and, and recognizing that I am not, in fact, my failures and my mistakes. And so it's, it's become a good reminder for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool how, you know, uh, a perception can change so drastically, but still really hold a lot of, a lot of juice, still hold a lot of like really really good stuff, you know, it, it, as we transform, you know, is as much as like, you know, people without tattoos would say like, oh, you're going to have that forever. Like, are you sure you want to have that forever? And um, it's as much as it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a reflection of who we were at the time. There's also a relationship with our, with our art on our body that is, well, what does it mean to me now? You know, and we can continually ask ourselves that. And, and uh, you know, for me, w with any of my tattoos, I would never, I would never say like, oh, I don't like that anymore. And I'm embarrassed of that. Like, I've always kind of scratched my head when people are like, they regret their tattoos. It's like, man, that's, that's truly who you were at that time. And your reflection when you look at it now shouldn't be shame or, or regret or any of those sorts of things. It's like a, it's a reminder of how far you've come. If like, if you don't, if you're not into that thing anymore or doesn't speak to you in the same way, like that's awesome, actually, you know, it's nothing to be, to be bummed about or like try to put yourself down for who you were when you were younger. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's all memories of, of, of who you once were. It's all, it's all cave paintings of, of your evolution. You know, it's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, like, like you said, it just reminds you of 
of the past version of you that you really identified with and you you see the ways you identified with this this storyline you had of yourself and it's just interesting to look at now the ways in which you perceived yourself then versus the way you see yourself today mm, yeah and then like finding space to to give yourself grace through it in in like you know in to recognize man I was I was pretty mean to myself I was tough on myself I was blah blah, blah. but I'm not anymore. And that's pretty cool. You know, like just, uh, I, I love it. I think it's a, it's a magical thing. You know, I mean, it's, you know, maybe if I had like a swastika on my forehead, maybe I might be saying something different, but you know, uh, I, I think, uh, we, we all grow and we all like become new versions of ourselves. And, and that comes with who we once were and, and it's accepting that, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the inner child work, you know, you don't, you would never speak meanly to like, if there was a, a six-year-old version of yourself standing next to you, you wouldn't, be so rude and disrespectful and insult him and put him down. You know, if, if, if he was standing right next to you, you would be kind and you would be understanding of, of why he thinks the way he does at that time. And you see that now you have these different experiences. And so you, you bring love to who you once were. You don't, it's, it's a, I have this line, the ego, the ego doesn't like change nor grit, but loves to feel withhold. You know, it's, it's not about trying to destroy the ego. It's not about trying to destroy who you once were. It's, it's how can you love them for exactly who they were from who you are now? You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a constant practice. Um, brother, we are, we are getting up here in time. I, I don't want to keep you too much, too much longer, but, um, I'd love to kind of, as we, as we round the, the final lap here, um, what, what is, what, what is the future of your chill step mixes and, and, and where do you see yourself heading? Um, you know, where, what direction are you heading with, with your spiritual work and in, in the, you know, you're very much an artist and, and I wonder kind of like where you see yourself, are you going to continue to share these sorts of things? Are you going to keep making mixes? Um, I, I, I hope it's a yes. And I hope yes, you, you'll say yes, that, um, you'll continue to like share your, your awesome pictures and like your life and your perspective on your social media and stuff too. Are are you planning on continue going forward with this stuff? Yeah. Um, for a while I kind of like really stepped away from the mixes and wasn't sure if I was, if it was something I was going to continue to do. And I recognize now the impact of them and, and how far they've gone. And I think some of the ones I I've made, I don't think I could ever, like recreate even different versions of those mixes because the way they came about was just so natural and so organic. And some of the ones I have are probably the best ones I'll ever do in my opinion. But I do find myself thinking about them more recently of like, how can I give outside of my other artistry, like through my pictures and and perspectives I share online. And I find that the chill step mixes were and still are um, a gift of mine that I can still give. And so when I intuitively feel drawn to do a mix, um, there will be times where I'll sit down and, and try and create one. And and recently I've tried to to do a new one and I've just been finding myself sitting down and it's just not coming through the way it used to. And so I kind of just give myself space for that and to just maybe come back to it in the future. Um, I don't take it as like, I can't do this anymore. You know, maybe now it's just not the right time for it, but I definitely still think about it and, and still want to, um, produce more. I think there's other teachers I haven't even touched and, and I could use their lectures as well. And I've had great suggestions from people on, on mixes to do next. 
I think really what I'm tuning into now is sharing my own perspectives online. And I really feel drawn to that path. Um, for some reason, I just feel like it's something I need to explore, um, how to share myself and move kind of through my own insecurities about myself and public speaking and sort of understand the stories and the identification I have around that and, and how that's um, anchoring me into my own limiting beliefs still. So I would say I'm kind of just following my heart right now and mm -hmm. kind of just experimenting with the things that are, are, are really enticing me to, to move forward with. So. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's a fantastic answer, you know, I, because it's uh it's got to, it can't be forced, you know, it has to be a, along the lines of when you sit down to create some art or share something, it has to, it kind of has to flow out of you rather than like trying to, you know, like squeeze a lemon as hard as you can and try to get all the juice out of it, you know? So yeah, I hope you do the same. And, and I'll say just as a, a, you know, a fellow artist friend over here, I'm very much in, in the same boat. You know, there's so many times that I put a lot of pressure on myself um, or try to like, I get momentum or I get like, I notice that, you know, I'm getting a big uptick in listeners to the podcast or like checking out my art or whatever. I'm like, Oh, should I like, I really like attack this. Should I like try to continue so I can get more people to listen and help more people and Bob, you know, it becomes about myself so quickly. But um, I think that the best way for me has been to just not put so much pressure, pressure on myself. Remember that nobody's grading it. That I don't have a boss breathing down my neck. You know, my art is my art and I get to share it, you know, um, from my perspective of, of, of how I'm actually feeling at that time in, in my life. So, you know, it's, it, it took me, I just got a reminder this. I've, I've been doing this podcast for four years, actually. It seems crazy, but, um, and, and I just, just now got past a hundred episodes, you know, so that's, it's a lot of episodes, but four years is quite a long time, you know? So I, I try not to, I try not to get too obsessed about timelines or deadlines or any of that sort of stuff. Um, and I just kind of express how I'm feeling. And if I have nothing to say and I can't squeeze anything out, then I, to give myself grace and just cool and then i guess i got nothing to say right now you know so yeah man I, I resonate with that a lot yeah i think that's when the best content comes i think there's so much energetics that go into to forcing it and choosing to show up when you don't really want to be there i mean sometimes you know depending on your commitments you have to show up but i think people really recognize the the energy behind it and if it feels like something that comes from your own pure joy and bliss people really um pick up on that and they might not be conscious of it but it might just be in the energy and the way it's being received that you know your content when you show up and you're really excited about it people can really feel that in some way yeah absolutely i agree man i agree um well so so what i would love to do um as as we wrap up here is uh you know i'll tell people to check down in the description below um, to find out, to find out more about Mr. Dirty Zen over here. Um, and I would love to ask you, and, and you could send me the link afterwards of maybe like if you had to choose your, your favorite chill step mix. And I would love to include that as the link below. So if this is your first time hearing about Landon and you want to check out his mixes, um, click on that one. I had him send me his favorite. Um, otherwise, um, it's, it's Dirty Zen on Instagram. Is there anywhere else that you're posting? Is there anywhere else we can find you in any other resources to, to throw in before we wrap up here? Um, mostly just Instagram and my YouTube channel, which I show up to, um, pretty infrequently, but I'm trying to be a little bit more committed with that. Um, something that I really want to do. So 
Um, those are like my two two major platforms, Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. 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 I love the work you do. And, and again, uh, like YouTube is definitely a cool place to go to because you, you visually, you have such an eye for videography and photography and, uh, uh, it's, it's not only aesthetically pleasing, but it's, you know, it's, it's good spiritual knowledge for us too. So man, thank you so much for your time again, man. I, I really appreciate this. Thank you for being so like open and willing and sharing your personal stories. And, you know, even right off the bat, when I first messaged you, you were like, you know, you address like, hey, you know, maybe I have some sort of anxieties and a little reluctance, but yeah, I would like to do that. And so I, I appreciate your bravery as well, man. Th thank you so much. This isn't, this isn't an easy thing to do. You know, it's a, we get in our heads a lot with it, you know, speaking for myself for sure. So uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for your time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Well, listeners, love yourselves. Take care of yourselves. If you drink no water today, you're crazy. Drink some water, stretch, check out Landon's stuff, and uh, we'll see you next episode of Junkyard Love Podcast. Knowledge is power.